Hello there, and welcome to the Dear Dyslexic podcast series brought to you by Rethink Dyslexia, the podcast where we're breaking barriers and doing things differently. I'm Shay Wissell, your host, and I'm so glad you can join us. I'm a fellow neurodivergent, and I'm coming from the lands of the Rwandri people of the Kulin Nation, where I live and work. And I would like to acknowledge and pay my respects to all the tribes across our beautiful country and to all First Nations people listening today. Our podcast was born in 2017 out of a need to give a voice to the stories and perspectives of adults with dyslexia. And our voice has grown stronger year after year. We're now a globally listened to podcast with guests from all around the world. Join us for insightful conversations about living with dyslexia and other neurodivergences across all walks of life. Our special focus is on adult education, employment, social and emotional well-being, and entrepreneurship. We're excited to be bringing you this episode and invite you to like and follow us, or even better, why not leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform? So let's get started. Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us again for the second part of my conversation with Gareth Robinson. I really hope you found the first part of our discussion helpful and you can see how we got sidetracked talking about so many different things. But I think, you know, creating small habits that don't seem overwhelming when we're in really stressful periods of life, whether it's um, we're going through grief and trauma or we're having a challenge at work or we're facing difficulties in our personal lives, there's always space for us to be providing and doing some self-care and I think that little habits where we're not feeling pressured um, to do different activities can really help us manage day to day. So I hope you enjoy the second part of our conversation, particularly around uh, the stacking. And uh, please remember that this episode does, again, contain um, sensitive discussions about grief, loss and suicide and um, mental health challenges. And again, while today's conversation aims at promoting understanding, reducing stigma and giving us strategies, we know that hearing about grief and suicide can be triggering for some of you listening today. So please, if you find any of this content distressing, your well-being does matter and it is essential that you prioritise your mental health above all else and consider seeking help. So remember, there's a lifeline that you can contact on 131114 or Beyond Blue Counsellors on 13002246636. I hope you enjoy this second part of our series. Thanks for listening. I've got Gareth on the line again today. We got so involved in talking about um, our experiences around grief and loss and how we manage day to day that the whole point of the original podcast was around habits. And so we thought we'd have this follow-up conversation around um, the habits stacker. I think I've got that right. And um, how we can move through um, trauma of all different kinds. It doesn't have to be just uh, losing a loved one. So thank you so much, Gareth, for joining us today again. You're welcome. Thanks for having me back. I'm so pleased that we could continue this conversation and hopefully um, I'll try and keep us on track this time so we don't end up having to do a third third part to this series. Um, but can you give any reflections on our conversation that we had last time? Great question. Thank you, Shay. Um, I guess, yeah, it did. I felt it turned into a little bit of a ramble, but I was glad that we talked about um, how 
how we view time being so important. And I, and I guess when it comes to habits, and yeah, you you got it mostly right, a habit stack. Uh, when it comes to habits, it does start with uh, what's in our head and how we view the world, uh, our perception, if you like, our view of time, how we listen to that voice in our head. So yeah, I, I mean, I could talk about that stuff all day. Um, so I think that was that was quite a, a good segue into what we're talking about here today. And um, for those listeners who haven't heard the initial part of our conversation, were you able to talk about some of the traumatic events that led you to the work that you're doing now? Sure. Okay. We love trauma, whether it's little t trauma or big trauma. Um, so I guess the the catalyst for uh, meeting yourself, Shay, was the loss of my beautiful big brother Ben to suicide last August, and actually got a thirty year relationship with suicide, having lost um, a number of other friends. Um, and I, th- I think maybe rather than directly answering your question, I, I might introduce myself in a slightly different way. Even so, those that were listening to the last episode, there'll be some value because I do want to acknowledge that. For some of your listeners, as I share some tools and techniques to um, drive positive change in your life, legitimately so you could be thinking, well, you know, who's this guy who, you know, doesn't have dyslexia, doesn't have ADHD? Who's he to tell me um, how easy it is now? And that's a that's a legitimate concern. So I want to kind of call out that regardless of the trauma, the the battles that we're fighting, we always have a choice when it comes to decisions and how we respond and whether or not we want to change. You need to build that awareness first of that something actually needs to change. You then need to accept that there's certain things we cannot change, and that comes back to what we talked about last time, those circles of control, I guess. Um, But you do then also need to take responsibility for making those changes. Um, One way that helps is putting a more optimistic or a positive spin on it. So I want to introduce myself uh, properly at the risk of this turning into a ramble again and, and share with your audience my last six years and eight traumatic events, mostly big T trauma that have happened to me. And I'm going to start with a negative bias because our brains are wired negatively and it's just easy to do that. But then I want to flip the script. And that could be a bit of a lesson, I guess, is that we are able to flip the switch, the script, excuse me, when it comes to our past. So I'm going to run through these traumatic events for me. Um, Firstly, I was made redundant, so I lost my job. And then over a number of years, bootstrapping a startup, um, that startup failed and cost uh, myself, my my brother-in-law and my family a reasonable amount of money in in that commercial failure. Part of that is the third traumatic event. We had to sell our unit um, to fund our lifestyle and and continuing this journey. So that was a third traumatic event. Um, The fourth is over the last two to three years, my beautiful wife and myself have grown a little bit apart. Um, The fifth, sixth and seventh traumatic event is that I lost one of my close high school friends to suicide. I then lost, or we lost, I should say, um, the best man of my wedding to suicide. And finally, as mentioned, my brother last year. So there are eight pretty negative kind of traumatic events. Um, Now I want to try and flip that script and take a more positive view on it. So we look at that first one. I lost my job and 
you know, as they say, when one door closes, another one opens. Because now what I do for a living is I teach, I coach, I train. And when I look back, I've always wanted to be a teacher. So I am far more content in a professional sense and personal effect than I ever was when I uh, was working in the corporate world. And that's not for everyone, but that, that's that's me flipping the script. So that redundancy was amazing. Um, the failed startup. Whilst I wouldn't recommend a personal development journey to be um, led by uh, trying to develop an app and then failing a startup, it has for me been an incredible learning journey a deep experience that um, has turned me into a far better human being. So, you know, again, another cliche, we learn so much from these failures. So that has actually been an incredible uh, process. Whilst I wouldn't necessarily recommend uh, your audience to jump in and bootstrap a startup because they want to improve themselves. Uh, now, so that's the first three. The, the other one was around selling the unit. Now, look, my wife and I at the time chose that we had equity in a unit, but it's sitting there. It's not doing anything. It wasn't enabling us to live the life we wanted to live. And, you know, again, this is about a shift in mindset to go, well, yes, we need to be aware of the future and aim towards um, some, you know, financial security in the future. But we also want to enable ourselves to live the life we want to live today. So that's flipping the script on uh, the fact that we had to sell that unit to survive financially. Um, the fourth one, right, my beautiful wife and I, you know, we've been seeing a counsellor, as you know, Shay, I don't mind sharing uh, my my story and my wife's uh, for the last year, and we are stronger, better together as a couple and a family unit than um, almost, you know, for, for a long time we've been. So there's a nice positive end to that story. The last three traumatic events, losing um, people you love to suicide, you know, I'll be honest, uh, particularly after the loss of my brother six months ago, uh, I'm struggling to find the silver lining on that. So I want to call out two things that we talked about last time. Number one, circles of control. Like those of traumatic events were outside of my control, so I need to be careful about attaching myself to uh, them and, and, the, and the grief I feel that is involved with that, and certainly from a blaming point of view, uh, number one. Number two, you can always turn an obstacle into an opportunity, and it may simply be how you react and how you support your family members, your community in the event of uh, such a traumatic uh, experience. So, yeah, those are the two kind of small at this point, uh, but, you know, opportunities from those obstacles. So that, yeah, that, I shared that, by the way, um, just, just I guess to let everyone know that um, we all have trauma of whether it's little t, big t, and because I don't uh, have dyslexia or ADHD, it doesn't mean that I don't overthink, that I, I, I have anxiety, I, I suffer from the imposter syndrome sometimes. Um, but I work hard, partly through my habits, to ensure that I am um, flipping the script as much as possible. Wow. And you thought you were going to talk about habit stacks. So, yeah, I'll stop there. <laughs> Hopefully that made sense to everyone. And, um, yeah, I'll pass it over to you, Shay, now. Well, I just want to say thank you for being um, so open and vulnerable in all the conversations we've been having. And I think that, you know, it will resonate with our listeners, regardless of whether you're dyslexic or not, because we've all faced different types of traumas in our lives. And so I think it's really valuable conversation that we're having to, I think, also normalise that we all go through these types of challenges in life. And uh, even though we're dyslexic and we might have higher risk factors 
for these challenges that um, it normalises that this is happening for everyone. And I think the most important message from our conversations is around how can we um, reduce that impact and try to put strategies in place to look after ourselves. Because I worked out uh, after our conversation, been trying to think of what my word was for the year. And I really think it's around self-care. So I'm really glad that we're having these conversations and um, highlighting the importance of self-care, particularly, I think, coming out of COVID, which was a huge trauma for everyone, um, and that there are lots of things we can put in place to help us with our self-care. So, yes, so now we will learn some self-care strategies. That's right. That's right. And just, you know, I've been learning about loving kindness meditations um, and meditation mindfulness being one of the kind of what we would call um, some critical habit types we need to focus on. And, yeah, that self-care is so important. And, and for me, there's a bit of a paradox there as a, as a well, I want to say as a white middle-class man, um, and in this kind of competitive uh, society we often are uh, exposed to and live in, that that loving yourself um, can be a bit of a challenge. And I, and I think back to the conversations I had with my beautiful big brother, uh, Ben, who, you know, that was, you know, and I'm glad you mentioned the show, that was a key issue for him and very hard to understand when you're not in someone else's head, which we never are, um, that on the surface, you know, he should have loved himself more and taken more self-care. Um, for some reason, uh, he wasn't able to. But um, look, let's. <laughs> I'm going to transition because I'm conscious. I, I I do tend to overthink, as I said before, and and can overtalk. So let's jump into habits. Um, and the real question is, why is it so hard to make positive changes in our life by embedding healthy new habits? And one way of looking at this is there's kind of three key problems, all right, which I want to briefly highlight. And then I'll go on to the two main discoveries my co-founder, Jeremy Horn, and myself discovered as we we're building out Thrive Wrap and what is now called Five Habits. So the first of the problem is something I, I covered already, this negativity bias. You know, some scientists will tell us that the mind is a little bit like Velcro when it's looking at negative experiences, but like Teflon when it's looking at positive experience. So think about that, you know, Velcro, very sticky. So we have a we have a negative experience and we remember that, right? We can catastrophize it. it can, we can turn it into this bigger event. And then those positive experiences, we just let go, you know, and I'm not sure about your listeners or yourself, but I know I'm guilty of that sometimes. So that's our first challenge around changing bad behaviors and embedding healthy behaviors is we have this negativity bias built in many of us anyway the second problem we discovered is that over half your life you spend talking to yourself um not necessarily out loud but so this is this this self-talk or inner speech as some scientists will tell us and it's dangerous when you have that negativity bias um because often as most of your audience will probably know that when we talk to ourselves, it's, it's often negative self-talk. So that, again, is a challenge. You know, oh, I can't do this. It's too hard or I, I lack motivation. And by the way, that's one of the myths with habit creation is you can't rely on motivation because it's a slippery, nasty little devil. Um, so you want to take some simple steps to reduce the need to motivate yourself to, to embed those healthy new habits. So that talking to ourselves, the negativity bias, those are real challenges or problems with um, driving positive behavior change in your life. 
The third one is that up to 90%, depending on the science you believe, between half to 90% of your daily activities are habitual. I'll repeat that. Between 50 to 90% of your daily activities are habitual. So what that means is you're on autopilot for a lot of the time, as am I. And so again, that makes it hard to uh, drive positive change in our lives. So those are the three kind of problems that make it difficult to embed healthy new habits. The one I haven't mentioned, I mentioned last um, last episode, which is from uh, BJ Fogg, the founder of Stanford University's Behaviour Change Lab, and also the author of Tiny Habits that I think will, a link to that book will be in the show notes. He talks about, you know, we've been using the wrong instruction manual. So, you know, um, we've been looking, it's, it's like you go to Ikea, you buy that bedside uh, table, you open the box to look at the instruction manual and it's for a, you know, it's for a cupboard rather than a bedside table. So how's that going to go with building that bedside table? Almost impossible. So his kind of uh, observation there is we're, we're using the wrong instruction manual and that's what we'll jump into shortly around the habit state. Before I do that, I'll pause and see if, Shah, if you have anything to add or, or questions or observations. I think for many dyslexic people, though I'm not going to talk for everyone, but uh, the particularly for me, let's start with me, uh, the negative bias and the, um, the second point around the way we're thinking and talking to ourselves, I think um, as someone who's dyslexic, I've really struggled with because from a young age, we're often told that we're not good enough because we can't do something that comes really easily to someone else. Or we might have labels put on us of dumb or stupid or, and that really does, it is like Velcro. You know, it does stick to us, those types of terms. And so to try and switch that negative bias to look at how, like the strengths that we have, it's, I think we all talk about strengths but sometimes I think it can be hard to find our strengths when we've grown up in that kind of space where it's been constantly negative for us and you're bringing that negative, that trauma of the way you've been spoken to and treated into adulthood. And mm. um, so I think it's it's good for us to raise this these conversations around the ongoing uh, narrative that can be in our head that we're not good enough or we're dumb or I can't do that because of my reading or writing or I can't go for that job because what if they find out I'm dyslexic? So I think that um, being able to have this conversation around how we can reduce some of those tendencies is really important. Yes. No. And so thank you, by the way, for raising that, that, that you know, you're talking for yourself because that that's what I'm doing as well. Whilst I have uh, spent many years studying this and believe our habit stack uh, will work for most, if not all people and help them um, drive positive change in their lives. I can only speak for myself just as you can only speak for yourself. And, and you know, I'm not sure whether I acknowledged this on the last episode, but, you know, my, my brother was dyslexic. He had inattentive ADHD. Um, the cause and effect between that and depression and then suicide, you know, I'm not qualified to to, to draw that line. Um, however, you know, that's that's probably one of the reasons also why um, I'm excited to be here and and talk to your audience, even though I cannot uh, necessarily walk in their shoes. Um, so, okay, so those are some problems we have, right? So how do we go about um, driving effective change in our, in our own lives? And, you know, again, I want to call out one of the major issues I see almost every day in 
this kind of personal development self-help space is this whole go big or go home, you know, uh, 10x your income, all that, excuse my French, fucking rubbish, basically. The world and and then also ourselves when we are our own worst critics set the bar way too high. So you do not have to 10x your income. You do not have to run a marathon. You do not have to run an ultra marathon, even a half marathon or a 10K. You don't have to do that. So one of the challenges I find is that when people are looking to improve, they set the bar way too high. Um, and and that that concerns me as someone who's interested in in you know positive mental health. So Let's jump into what my co-founder, Jeremy, and myself discovered about three or four years ago now is that there's actually about kind of five habit types that many of the world's hyper-successful and extraordinary icons, athletes, and artists do. And for most of your audience, these will not come as a surprise. So we, we discovered that there's five types of habits or activities that a lot of these hyper-successful people do every day or focus on improving that allow them to be more content, um, healthier, and happier. And the first one is meditation or some form of mindfulness. I'll borrow from Tim Ferriss, who um, you know has interviewed over 500 of the world's um, hyper-successful people over the last probably decade on his podcast. And you know, according to one article uh, that I read, over 80% of his audience uh, do some form of meditation every day. Now, that can be one minute, it could be 10 minutes, half an hour, an hour. Again, um, it depends on your situation and the individual. So meditation is the first one or some form of mindfulness. In addition, the next one is movement. So no surprise there. You know, most of us recognize that some form of physical activity will help our uh, our mental muscle as well as our physical muscles. I don't think, well, you, you can't see me, but Shay can see me. You know, my my big guns, uh, they're not very big, but I spend a lot of time focused on my mental muscle. So, and and helped by my physical activity and or movement. So we've got meditation, movement. The next one is eating smart. Again, we could talk about eating the rainbow. So kind of varying, varying our, um, what we consume. The fourth is sleeping well. So some of you uh, will be aware of Arana Huffington and her book, The Sleep Revolution. There are many people that talk about the power of sleep. And what I just want to remind your audience of this is that usually you're sleeping for a third of your life. And, and that's because your body needs that rest and recuperation. So there's a whole lot of different things we can do to improve our sleep. So that's the fourth of these kind of habit types. The fifth one, and this is probably the one I like the most, is giving. So I'll circle this back to your comment about um, self-care because the first person you've got to give to is yourself. So this is about um, giving to yourself and others and supporting your community. And that is such a powerful one. You know, you're doing it with this, this podcast and your other business, Shay, and your coaching business. And as you will know, and many of your audience that do volunteer, that give, that are trying to contribute to their community, you get far more than um, than you have to give yourself. So that's the fifth habit is find a way to give firstly to yourself and then to others. So those are the five habits. Uh, just quickly again, meditation, movement, eating smart, sleeping well, and giving. Um, that's the first thing we discovered. If you can build routines and habits that involve those types of activities into your world, you're going to be healthier and happier um, faster than faster than you may think. So they all seem like, um, well, you're right, they're habits that we would all know, 
why don't we stick to them? Yeah, well, that leads me to the second discovery, right? That was the first discovery. Well, and then the dis- and the second discovery was like, how how do we make habits stick, and why is it so hard? And you know, we relied on a number of experts, but the probably the three most popular. I've mentioned BJ Fogg before. Many of your audience members will recognise the name James Clear and the book Atomic Habits. So you can recognize a theme here, you know, tiny habits, atomic habits. We call them micro habits. You can call them small habits. doesn't matter what you call them, but we start with small habits. That's one of the kind of techniques, and I'll expand on that a little bit later. So we discovered with them, also there's a gentleman called Charles Duhigg, and he popularized the habit loop, which effectively is that there is a trigger or cue, and then there is the routine or activity, and then there's a reward. So usually something triggers us to to do that uh, routine. So maybe we're finishing our dinner and we're turning the TV on and that triggers us to, okay, it's ice cream time, right? And then we go to the fridge, we get the ice cream out, we eat the ice cream, tastes nice, it rewards us, and we feel good for a little while at least. So that's that habit loop. And what we discovered... Um, after researching this for many months, is that there are these tools called habit stacks. And ours is a four-step habit stacking tool that allows you to embed habits more quickly without relying on much effort, your motivation, and a few other things. So that was this kind of second discovery. And I'm I'm happy to expand on kind of what our habit stack looks like. Um, again, for your listeners, I believe we'll have a like a habit stacking guide that you can download uh, for no charge. You can have a look at that and that will help you build out your own habit stack. Um, but perhaps I should pause now, Shay, and before I jump into kind of how that looks and some of the um, some of the logic behind how it's designed. But I'll pause now just in case you've got any observations, questions. At Rethink Dyslexia, we are doing things differently. As a global leader in creating inclusive environments for adults with dyslexia, our commitment is to provide individuals with opportunities to live healthier, happier, and more connected lives. Through our range of tailored services, including coaching, learning and development programs, consultancy, and training, we're helping dyslexic individuals, businesses, and organizations to better understand and support their dyslexic employees. So if you're looking for insights, inspiration, and expert advice, on dyslexia and how you can provide inclusive practices and environments, then head to rethinkdyslexia.com to find out more or book your free consultation today. I'm very excited to learn the embedding because we're told all the time that we should be doing all these things. And it's, and, um, you know, well, for me, like meditation now is becoming a non-negotiable and trying to get to Pilates twice a week as well, because for me, it's that whole concept around my word of being self-care. Shouldn't yes. be a word, should it, for the year? But I needed something to help break my bad habits and motivate me. We're going to change the word motivation. But it's, um, a great, it's a great word, Shay. And, you know, I'd suggest you, you put it up somewhere if you haven't already. That is obvious, you know, create a visual cue. Um, so it's on a wall, on your fridge, wherever it may be. So it's reminding you of the importance of that that word to you this year. I think because I've given myself that word, then when I say, oh, I don't want to go to Pilates or I shouldn't meditate, I remind my, 
it then comes to me, well, what am I trying to achieve? And because of my mum dying so young, it's it's been driven home really this year around making sure that I am doing that self-care. Um, but it is hard to stick at it. So I'm very excited to learn how to better embed these practices that I love. Sleep is not an issue. That I do yes. consistently. And if I had my way, I'd sleep, I'd have a nap every day. So that's yes. one thing. And that's a non-negotiable for me. I have to sleep. I can't function. So that one is isn't is not even a question. Like that is an that's something I do constantly, which is good. But it's I love my naps. Yeah. I love my naps. I call them nana naps or power naps, depending how I feel. And now um, when I am working from home, as you know, many people are some some days of the week, I will, if I've started early, I'll often have a 20 to 30 minute uh, nap in the afternoon. And then I find after that I'm far more productive. Um, but if I could actually ask you a question, Shay, because you, you referenced self-care, Um so why why is that important to you? If I could ask, what's kind of underlying that that the use of that word? I think well because my mum died young, I want to and I'm an older mum, so I want to make sure that I'm uh, I live past the age that my mum did, so that I'm there for my daughter. So that's a bit yes. of a driving fa- factor. But also, when you're going through a traumatic event, you you um, your opportunities for self care start to drop. <clears throat> So, you know, because my mum was dying, we were doing, we were with her all the time. So, you know, you're, you're under a stressful situation. So sometimes you go towards your bad habits. For me, it's, I like to have a glass of wine at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you know, when you're having one every night that you're not managing as well as you can, but you slip into those bad habits. And so this year, I really wanted to focus on regaining some control probably around, looking after myself and um if i'm not looking after myself then you know it's what we talked about last time i think about putting the mask oxygen mask on before anyone else you've got to do that first and that's really resonated with me and for my business as well if i if i'm not looking after myself then i can't do the work that i want to do which then helps support my family which helps my mental health and um yeah that's probably a long-winded answer but they're the main reasons we love long-winded answers. I do. Now, thank you for that, Shay. I asked you that question because, you know, one of the things that it reminded me of is what's so important with habits when we're trying to um, create a new habit is it needs to be what I would call purpose-led. James Cor- James Clear calls them identity-based, okay? It's the same thing. You- your new habits should be purpose-led. They should tie back to what you feel your purpose is in life. Now, that purpose, going back to my setting the bar too high, doesn't mean you need to be a CEO, a startup founder, or whatever it may be. could just be your purpose is to um, create the the best family environment um, for, your, for your kids and your partner, whatever it may be. But we tie our habits to our purpose or the person we want to become. And that helps us stick to them, okay? So that's the first or that's one kind of um, technique or trick, if you like, with habits is you first have to understand who are you trying to become and why is it important to you? So rather than um, I'm going to run the Sydney Marathon because Sydney's where I live, uh, perhaps I could have a more purpose-led 
goal, if you like, perhaps a more open goal rather than a future-focused smart goal, and it could be something along the lines of, you know, I want to I want to stay fit um, so I can, you know, continue to play with my kids or whatever the case may be so that, you know, I want to be a fit father, a version of what you said. And then it, it ties to your purpose, some of your core values and what's really important to you, and then we remind ourselves of why we're doing that, and then it makes it easier to wake up for that 6 a.m. Pilates class or whatever it may be. So just to hammer that point home, purpose-led habits are powerful habits. And that's the first um, That's the first tip, if you like. That's not how we stack them together. That's not the tool, but you need to find purpose-led habits. If you don't know what your purpose is, <laughs> you can reach out to me. But there is a lot of collateral and content that helps people uncover their purpose I would like for your audience to, again, just reinforce the point that most people think purposes are, you know, either this massive big thing I want to save the world or it's about what they do. And that's wrong, in my opinion. Purposes are about how you want to live. They're tied back to your core values, to the kind of person you want to be and how you want to be remembered and or behave versus I want to be a CEO, I want to have a holiday house on Palm Cove or whatever it might be. Okay. Purpose-led habits, super important. Another important element to habits is, you heard me say this before, atomic, tiny, micro, doesn't matter. Uh, we let our egos tell us that we have to start something new and we'll go to the gym three days a week and we'll go to a 45-minute workout and then in two weeks we'll wonder why we're still not going to the gym, you know, I can put my hand up. Most of us have done some version of that in the past. What BJ Fogg, James Clear uh, discovered is that the smaller you make your habits, the less likely you need to rely on motivation, the less friction there will be. Because if, if you your habit, I'll give you an example of one of my habits, okay? It started out with 30 jumping jacks every morning. That's one of my micro habits. That takes 20 seconds. Um, I've been doing that uh, micro habit for the last three years, okay? It's part of a habit stack. Um, the only time I haven't done it is when I um, damaged my, injured my ankle and I couldn't do jumping jacks. But I've stuck to it because it's small and it actually does help. So we're the purpose led in the micro habits, okay? Um, I'm going to pause now before I jump into the kind of three steps in creating this habit stack, um, just in case you have anything to add, Shane. I think that uh, I like the micro habit and how we can implement that. I think because we're so busy and then we punish ourselves if we haven't gone to the gym three days a week like we've committed or gone for those runs that we said we're going to do. So I think putting in micro habits, like I can't see myself doing 30 jumping jacks, but I can definitely see myself trying to just make sure I do my meditation every day as a starting point instead of um, only a couple of times a week. 100%. And, you know, again, if anyone downloads the PDF, you'll see when we look at meditation, it could simply be like a one-minute child pose or you could do a two-minute body scan meditation. Like we keep them really short. Ideally, your full habit stack of two to four habits takes no more than two minutes to start. That doesn't mean that you don't build it out over time and perhaps it becomes a 10-minute morning routine before you shower or after you shower. But to start, you've got to start small or micro, ideally under two minutes for all your habits combined. And we stack them together using implementation intentions. And I'll, I'll jump into that shortly. 
Because then what happens is that kind of almost your base. So what happens in a month's time when you're away for a weekend to a friend's engagement party and you're in a hotel and the room's a bit small, you don't wake up and go, oh, I need to go to the gym for 45 minutes, and then you and then you don't because it's too hard. But you know, right, I'll just do my two-minute habit stack, and I can do that in the in the room hallway or whatever it may be. So that's one of the reasons we keep them really small or micro um, because it helps us stick to them. And then even in future when maybe as I am, I'm doing 60 jumping jacks, I do 30 push-ups, I have my glass of water, uh, I do my stretches. But sometimes all I'll do is 30 jumping jacks and five push-ups and that'll be it because for whatever reason. And that's okay. One of the things that some of the experts will tell us is it's okay to skip a day and I would agree do your best not to skip two days in a row. So when we're embedding healthy new habits, we're building in some time into our routine, hopefully less than two minutes. Aim not to skip more than one day a week, but going back to that self-care, self-love, don't beat yourself up if you skip a day. It's not a big deal. If you skip two, it's harder to come back in. But again, if you you do, it's not the end of the world, okay? Um, Now, so let's just, Again, pause and say, let's imagine we found some purpose, um, purpose-led micro habits. Okay. And you know, I've mentioned a few. Maybe it's five push-ups, maybe it's just writing one sentence in your journal, which would be a giving, right? That would be a giving habit. You're giving to yourself a, a, a single sentence, um, like in a gratitude journal, perhaps at the end of night. Or maybe when you're lying in bed, you're thinking to yourself something about what what what's the one thing good that happened today? That would be another giving habit. Um, so yeah, there's many, many things we can do there. So we found some purpose led micro habits. Maybe we have two, three, four. Uh, now what we want to do is see if the order or we group them together in a particular way. Does it make sense how they group together? Um, if they, if, if you can't find a way to group them together, that's okay. We then move to the next step, which is creating a spark or a trigger. So if you recall when I talked about Charles Duhigg and his habit loop, every new habit starts with what he called a cue, and often people call them triggers. Or I call them sparks, okay? So a spark or trigger, all it is is an everyday activity that you're already doing, and it becomes the spark for your habit stack. So once you've got your habits that you want to embed, maybe we've got three as a, as a very common kind of number, all under combined under two minutes, then you find a spark. It could be brushing your teeth. It could be um, getting out of bed. It could be making your morning cup of tea. It could be after you pick your kids up from school. It could be before you turn your computer on or, or after you've turned your computer on. It could be when you arrive at the office. Uh, what you'll find when you go through this process is there will be a kind of an obvious spark for you, often tied to the time of day when you want to do this. Now, speaking of the time of day, there is quite a lot of research around mornings being fantastic to create that kind of simple morning routine. Many of your audience members would have heard of the 5am club and there's a you know the magic morning by I think Hal Elwood and there's a whole lot of content and research saying that you know you you, you want to create a small morning routine okay and so I would say great if that works for you um, but you don't have to do it in the morning. you can embed it anywhere. Depends where when you are usually doing your spark, okay, or your trigger. So we've got micro habits, the purpose-led, either helping us become the person we want to be, they're tied to our values, what's really important to us. 
we found a spark for me it's um for me it's brushing my teeth in the morning for my my morning routine right uh we found a spark great now we look at those habits and um we look at what would make sense to do the first habit as an example so i i have some stretches now in my morning routine uh i'm not going to do them straight after brushing my teeth uh instead what i'm going to do is have a glass of water so that's my first habit so what I, what we're doing now and again for your audience um check the guide out because that the habit stacking guide until we'll, we'll walk you through all this uh probably more easily than i am um so what we do is we create implementation intentions and that's a psychological tool it's an if then statement right if i'm brushing my teeth then i'll drink a glass of water and this is one of the the techniques how we help um kickstart that routine and continue to do it because what we're doing is we're we're creating that if then statement right if if i uh are making a cup of tea i'm going to do 10 jumping jacks or you know i'm going to do a one minute breathing exercise whatever so you have an if then statement so mine as an example is if i'm brushing my teeth i'm having my glass of water my second habit are my my jumping jacks or star jumps depending what country you're in so it's another, we stack. These are why these things are called uh, habit stacks. You stack your implementa- implementation intentions one after the other. So my first habit, brushing my teeth, that's, that's in fact, that's a, a spark. So the first new habit is a glass of water. And then for my second implementation intention, it's once I've had that glass of water, or if I have a glass of water, then I'm going to do my 30 jumping jacks. That's the second stack or implementation attention stacked after the other and then the third would be after i've done my jumping jacks i'm going to do 20 push-ups and then after my 20 push-ups i'm going to do my stretches or whatever the case may be when i started this uh quite a few years ago now it was the water the jumping jacks and um, the push-ups and now i've added my stretching routine uh, into that so that is what we call an implementation. That is what we call a habit, habit, stacking our implementations one after the other. Okay, I'm going to pause because there's the one critical step, which is called celebrating. Um, I'm going to pause before I jump into that, um, just in case uh, you have any observations or questions, Shane. I like the if then when if then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's look. It's psychology. All of this is psychology, and that's why we always start with the head, and and that's why we went down that beautiful rabbit hole last episode around the power of our mind and not listening to the voices in our head because actually we need to be very cognizant of that that's why i started this episode with that you know again flipping the script if you like because unfortunately that you know that chaotic monkey mind as the buddhists tell us it's it's our worst enemy um for many of us anyway so yeah that if then is a a way to to help with that and I think I'm going to try that for my meditation because I normally meditate before I go to sleep because that helps me sleep. So I will do that. If I'm going to sleep, then I will meditate to make sure yeah. I start doing it more, more consistently. Yes. And look, you know, that could be your stack. That could just be that's a single implementation intention. Um, usually people will build out a couple of extras. Um, so you're doing two to four. Um, I, I prefer with my clients no more than three just to start. Again, we're trying to make this as easy as possible so it becomes as sticky as possible. We're not having to rely on motivation um, and, and that kind of stuff. Um, 
So one quick, have to all be sorry. together. Sorry. So it could I do if I go to sleep, I'm going to meditate, and when I wake, if I wake up, which hopefully I do, then I will go <laughs> for my morning walk or run. So do they so have to would, all together, or are they? So firstly, that that's two habit stacks. You're creating one at night, one in the morning. That's very common. So the they don't have to be together. You, you can have multiple habit stacks created. Um, I would just again call out, like unless you're already a walker or a runner, um, you might want to, as as for some people, as crazy as it sounds, your your initial purpose-led micro habit may be, um, you know, when I wake up, I'm going to put my running shoes um, by the front door. And it might simply just be that. Like if you've really struggled to embed that kind of running habit, I would challenge you to consider is it the right type of habit for you is it kind of purpose-led maybe you want to go swimming instead or do yoga or whatever the case may be if you've really struggled otherwise we start super small and by definition of a micro habit even walking around the block for five minutes is not it's too big right okay so i can't i have to think of something i'm struggling to find small things Mm. Now, it doesn't mean, Shay, like, again, it depends on who you are and where you're at as you're trying to drive positive change in your life. You may go, you know what, I, I feel that I can still do it. The risk we have then is that that cold, windy morning, uh, you go, wow, I'm just not, you know, I'm not into it. And then you'll skip that day, you'll skip the next day, and then you'll listen to the voice in your head and say, I'm just not good enough, or I'm not motivated enough, or whatever the case may be. So, we build up, obviously, we rely on compounding interest um, and we build up over the weeks and months so it becomes, yeah, and you become that runner or walker. Um, if you're already a, along that path, no pun intended, then you, you can jump in with the longer habits. But if we're trying to create a new habit or a new routine, um, we're insistent on keeping it micro. It could even just be for the first week. And be very careful not to listen to your ego, who's not your amigo. And yep, he's probably a man. Uh, sorry, all the men listening. Don't listen to your ego tell you, oh, this is ridiculous. I can do more than walk up and down the stairs once. You know, just just keep, stick stick to that micro habit, micro habit stack for the first week and then start building it out. And what as what happens then, you can always fall back on it if you're going through a rough patch perhaps. Mm, yeah, that's good because we start to put pressure on ourselves as we build. But I like the thought of, if anything, you're just doing your two minutes. You're just committing to two minutes. Yep, that's right. And, you know, my my morning routine is longer, but sometimes, as I said, um, I it, it goes back to, you know, 90 seconds, two minutes um, for various reasons. The other thing, if we're talking about kind of times a day, uh, I do, I'm conscious, I do need to highlight celebration moments as well. That's the kind of final step in our three-step habit stack. A lot of people that are trying to start a morning routine, um, you know, and I'm sure many, again, I keep repeating this, but I'm sure some of your audience have heard this as well. We, We start the night before. So what you do is you get your clothes out, your gym clothes. So you're trying to reduce the friction or the barriers for that change. I mean, I know myself because we live in a unit and with my stretches, one of my barriers is that we don't really have a great space in the unit that I can just have a yoga mat and a roller and a towel just set up. So it sounds to me when I start it, it seems a bit ridiculous, but it's true. Just purely the fact of me having to grab the roller, grab the yoga mat, 
walk into the hallway, roll it out in the lounge room because my beautiful wife doesn't want it left there, um, then that that's a that's friction and that means I don't do it nearly as much as I should. So again, that's something we need to be aware of. There's so many different options for micro habits, again, based within those kind of five kind of habit types. Um, you know, I'd love to be able to point your audience to our, our website or, or the app, but right now, uh, everything's kind of been put on hold from a, um, to, to, so I don't have a lovely deliverable. The the guide though, the, the PDF guide, that will help people because it's got probably 30 different types of habits that you can be inspired by. And it also walks you through, you know, again, some brainstorming exercises to come up with those habits. Um, but I want to talk about celebration moments. And I have borrowed this directly from BJ Foggs. Um, his technique and not everyone does this but we want to celebrate as well so once you and this will sound crazy for some of your audience and that's okay um once you've had that glass of water you got to celebrate now your audience can't see me but i just kind of clench my fist uh where you can go yeah like you've got to find this this is a bit crazy the americans are much better than us than the aussies and kiwis <laughs> you've got to find a, a genuine small celebration moment that you add to the end of your implementation intention. And what that does is it, it doesn't trick your mind necessarily. And again, I call it, I'm not a psychologist, but I am a habit expert. You, you celebrate genuinely with, it could just be a smile or a raise your hand or a little clap or a little yes or something like that, or a little jump, you know, it's up to you, or a song and dance, whatever it is. A little celebration moment at the end of each implementation intention it, in a way, it, it convinces or tricks your brain. It's that reward. Remember Charles Duhigg's habit loop. We've got our trigger, which is in our world as our spark. Then we've got our routine, which in, in this habit stacking tool, that routine is perhaps that glass of water after brushing your teeth. Then we've got to reward ourselves for having that glass of water. So we go, yeah, good stuff. We, we, I smile often because I'm having a glass of water in the in the bathroom. This is where I do these exercises, believe it or not. Um, so then we go, yeah. Great, or smile. And then you go on to your next one. Okay, I've had my glass of water now. Now I'm going to do my jumping jacks. I do, but now it's about 60 jumping jacks most mornings. And then, and I smile at myself. That's my celebration moment at the end. And then I do my push-ups. And then I do a bit of a kind of fist clench. That's just the one that seems to resonate with me. And that's my first habit stack done. So I've had a glass of water. I've done 60 jumping jacks or star jumps. I've done 20 push-ups, sometimes more. Sometimes a little bit less, but that's okay. And um, I've celebrated after that stack. And and honestly, that is that is actually the that is the one um, habit stack and routine outside of some of my um, more kind of mental health focused ones. But that's the, my one kind of physical movement based habit stack that I've actually stuck with through thick and. Than through all those traumatic events in the last five, six years. And I know that one of the reasons why I've done that is because, um, you know, that's the, the the purpose has almost been lost on me now, to be honest. It's just, it's just fully embedded in my routine. Like wherever I am, I do it. Um, and, and it's less than two minutes. So I'll be doing that for the rest of my life unless I get injured. Um, I can guarantee it. <laughs> I love the celebration part. And yes, it does seem a bit funny to, Pat yourself on the back for drinking a glass of water. But I do know that if I, when I go for a run, which is becoming more frequent, when I get up to the top of the hill, I always give myself a yes because yeah. it's hard. And so to know that I've done it again and again, 
go, yes. So when I get to the bottom of it and I think, oh, I can't do this, and I remind myself, actually, you can, and you've done it now a few times. And I do. At the top of the hill, I do a little jump and go, yes, I did it. And then I keep running. And I'm like, yes, it it does change your mindset. I think think as well that, and again, I don't know because I'm not you, obviously, but I think sometimes that laughing at ourselves a little bit, and uh, I can imagine, I can... I can literally see you doing it and then having a bit of a chuckle and keep on running. But I think, you know, again, often as, you know, big, serious adults, we treat ourselves too seriously. So, you know, I think being able to laugh at ourselves is important. I'll also just draw on what you said and go back to those three problems that I talked about at the start of this episode. And one of them was this negativity bias. So those celebration moments are trying to offset right? Reprogram that negative negativity bias um, and that negative self-talk. So I know, yeah, silly, right? But uh, for, I mean, for me, you know, it's just a smile more often than not for some of my stuff. Um, if I'm doing something a little bit more serious, I'll, I'll get a bit more excited and celebrate a bit more. But yeah, um, you find your spark. Once you've found your habits, you find your spark, you use implementation and tensions to um, stack them together one after the other and then you find a, a way to celebrate genuinely um, and that's your habit stack done and you with your spark it'll be if your sparks brushing your teeth in the morning then that's when you're going to do it in the morning if your sparks arriving at work um, and maybe you want to do a you know a one minute breathing exercise at your desk before you turn your computer on so when I sit down I'm going to do a one minute breathing exercise um, and I'm going to write down uh, my one uh, goal for the day or whatever it may be, right? I should try that actually because I always forget to get my water. So it should be when I sit down, then I go and get my water. Or when I start, when I turn on the computer, then I go and get my water. Yeah, it's the if then. And I, I you know, like I'm I'm 51, right? And I, I've got a sore neck, a sore back, a, a, you know, torn hammy, all that stuff. So I do quite a lot of stretching and so oversharing again for your beautiful audience. Um, so, yeah, often and when I'm particularly, I find it easier when I'm working at home, but, I, again, I, I'm not very self-conscious these days. So even in the office, um, I'll, I'll always be stretching, uh, not always, but most of the time when I'm making a cup of tea or getting a glass of water in the kitchen or the cafeteria. Well, I could talk to you for ages about habits mm-hmm. And I'm really excited to see your um, guide so I can look at the 30 inspirations so I can add to my meditation. Um, But I think adding the water, actually, I'm starting to think of a morning routine I could do when I turn on my computer. Mm -hmm. I think it's so helpful because we get so busy and caught up in the day and, um, you know, we can all set aside two minutes. If we can't set aside two minutes for ourselves for some self-care, then you really need to step back and reflect on what's going on in our lives, I think, because no matter what's happening, two minutes is not a lot to ask to look after ourselves. That's right. That's right. And if you go back and as, you know, the the catalyst to me meeting you, Shade, my, you know, the drama I was dealing with over the last six months with my brother, you know, that has not stopped me doing this morning routine, whereas some other self-care stuff, 100% I stop, you know. Um, so, but, and that's the, that's one of the very valuable elements to these these micro habits and these habit stacks is you can, no matter what's happening in your world, usually you can do them because you're not having to rely on, 
a lot of equipment, a lot of time, a, a lot of energy and and motivation, which sometimes just isn't there. Well, thank you so much. From an initial conversation of how we work through and survive grief and trauma to such a positive ending around uh, how we look after ourselves and that how habits can really help our mental health and well-being. It's such a nice full circle. And when I started this journey of finding people that I could talk to about these challenging topics, uh, I'm just so glad that I found you. So thank you so much. It's been such an honour to talk to you and to learn more about the work you're doing and your journey. So thank you. Oh, no, thank you, Shay. You know, as we said before, we hit the record button. Um, Yeah, part of my purpose is helping people live better. Um, so I'm more than happy to talk about this stuff, uh, as your audience may have noticed. <laughs> so thank you also for your time. I much appreciate it. Uh, thank you. And uh, all the details around Gareth's work and the books that he mentioned, which will be audio books as well, so you will be able to listen to them. If you're interested, we'll be all on the website when this goes live. So thank you again. So honoured to talk to you. Great. Thanks, Shay. Appreciate your time. Thank you again for listening today. I hope you found this episode and this two-part series as helpful as I did and I really enjoyed uh, talking to Gareth and learning more about his work, which you can find uh, more information on at rethinkdyslexia.com.au. And again, if you found anything we discussed today uh, triggering, please remember you can contact Lifeline on 131114 or Beyond Blue on 13002236. Thanks for listening and bye for now.